everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test. I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And we're back. Yeah, we had an unplanned hiatus because the real world happened and we had to take a week off. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's fine. Everyone's happy. We just had some more pressing matters. Yeah. Um, basically, what happened was I unexpectedly got a new job offer and I I love where I currently work, but this is also a really good opportunity at a place that sounds really great. So I had to spend several days being me about it. (laughs) Which meant processing and thinking about it and researching heavily. So that's where, that's why we weren't around last week. So it is good news. It's bittersweet news. It's good news. Nothing bad, but it wasn't something I was able to do last week. But we're back to talk to you about things that we should have learned in school, but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we talk about just that. She talked about the only thing that's really been going on in our lives for the last week. I got a new phone. Ooh. Our our patio furniture tried to (laughs) blow away and broke. It's shattered glass everywhere. When I was a kid, I lived in Oklahoma, and we used to have, oh gosh, what did they call them? Gust natos, which were basically tiny tornadoes that hit in tiny, tiny locations. And I remember the newscaster actually saying, if you live in this neighborhood, saying our exact neighborhood's name, take shelter now. So, you know, my mom's freaking out. My dad's going, if it's our time, it's our time. (laughs) Especially because in Oklahoma, it's very rare to have a basement. We were Harry Potter style covered under the stairs is where we had to go. If it was our time, it was our time. Well, the next morning, nothing happened. And it was a beautiful day for the rest of the day. my, My dad pulls out to go to work. And in the middle of the intersection, a good half block away, is all of our wrought iron lawn furniture. (laughs) And he was like, well, shit. So he went and had to, like, carry all of that the half block back. And then he got into our backyard and discovered our big, heavy grill was upside down in the middle of the yard. (laughs) Meanwhile, our next door neighbor, who had three little kids, backyard full of lightweight pool toys, nothing had been touched. It was just our backyard. I feel like it was the universe going, oh, if it's your time, if it's your time, you want a taste of your time, which is mild inconvenience. Yeah. Oh, man. I did go full Midwesterner uh, last week because we had a tornado uh, warning, but it went actually touched touch down, but it was like way south of us. So we were fine. But it was close enough. We could kind of hear the alarms and mm-hmm. sirens going off because for those of you who don't live in tornado-y areas, when there's a tornado, there's big sirens that go off that warn you to go take shelter. Yes. Also, if you ever come visit the Midwest and the sirens start going off and you see nobody around you acknowledging them, that means they're being tested. Yeah, they do. They do de- test them for your. Oh, and if it's really bad weather, they don't test them that day. Yeah. So this we I, we knew this wasn't a test because it wasn't the scheduled test day. And we had a tornado warning. And we had a tornado warning. So I just I uh, got so it's like, do I hear sirens? Because usually we get a like a text alert when it's actually a warning, and we didn't. So it's like I'm fine, fine. But it's like I thought I heard sirens, so I went outside, and all of the neighbors were outside, kind of looking at the sky, <laughs> like and. We all decided, yeah, we're fine. So we we went about our lives like nothing was happening. This is what the Midwest is, folks. Like, the movie Twister is scary, especially if it's 1994. But the frequency of those actually happening, what do they call it? It was like an F7. We've never seen anything like this before. Um, But the frequency of tornadoes is actually, it's high compared to, like, Alaska, I suppose. But it's not that high. And... 
once you've lived in the Midwest for a while, you kind of can just tell whether or not you actually need to take shelter. Now, when the sirens go off near me, we take shelter. Yeah, it's... But However, I, I did have a stunning realization. It's, huh, boy, we sure have started ignoring, like, the professional warnings about safety when it comes to tornadoes. I wonder if that's why everyone in Kansas <laughs> decided to ignore the oh, pandemic the other and go to Applebee's. That's the other thing! Our phases came up for the vaccines. We are getting vaccinated. We can responsibly go out to the world in masks in like a month and a half. Yeah, we don't know if we're getting the vaccine that's a two-weeker or the vaccine that's a four-weeker. Or the vaccine that's just a single shot. We, don't we are know. not getting that one. It actually said on the schedules, like, this is your first of two vaccines. It just didn't say which one. Uh, we are so excited. And my new job is very supportive of like, because they've got, understandably, I know taking time off unless you're dying in the first 90 days. And I was like, I'm getting my second vaccine. They're like, yes, please do that. Please do that. Yeah. So we are getting vaccinated and we can start going about not changing our lives too much. Like we're still not going to go to restaurants. We're still not going to go to parties. We're still not going to do those things. But that was also us before pandemic. So. <laughs> well, also, we know that with the vaccines, you still can catch it. You just probably, as far as we can tell, you won't get sick. We don't know if you can still spread it to others. So we're going to keep wearing masks. We're going to keep having our groceries delivered. We weren't that big on going to restaurants to begin with. Yeah. Um, and Taylor Swift isn't coming anytime soon. No, well, I mean, we're still mad at her. Because she didn't pay for our she new didn't roof. didn't pay for our roof. <laughs> She, um, I'll just, just wait for my, I was, I was, I was actually kind of excited too, because she was the first female artist to win three al uh, album of the years at the Grammys. No matter what Kanye West does, Kanye West can't stop this train. No. And oh, uh, Beyonce, who also won, I think her 23rd Grammy, sent Taylor Swift a bouquet of flowers that kind of matched the styling of Taylor Swift's dress for the, for the Grammys. So it was very touching. Beyonce is so fucking classy. She really is. And I'm slowly starting to forgive her for the breakup of Destiny's Child. It's a process. It has taken me decades. But the more I learn about how classy Beyonce is, the more I respect her. And also, I always enjoy, I, I quietly enjoy her music because I still, like, it's one of those things. It's... When you know that there was one person who is the reason you're like this group you like broke up, broke up, you start to kind of dislike them, kind of like Steven Tyler. I mean, I know Aerosmith, I don't think is technically broken up, but they don't do much. I have no idea. I actually saw them in concert once and he and Joe, I believe it was Joe Perry, got into an argument on stage and one or both of them stormed off the stage and they ended up only playing half their set. <laughs> Luckily, Kiss opened for them and played. they did play their whole set and were awesome. So... <laughs> I feel like, feel I might be out of line with this, but I think going to an Aerosmith concert would be awesome, but going to an Aerosmith concert where they get in an argument on stage and storm off is better than seeing the entire set. It's like, I just got to see them get in a fight and get, run off stage. And I'm trying to remember because their opening, opening act was also good. It was a local band that had a hit on the radio that was not Tech 9 <laughs> <laughs> um, and they were just kept saying, hi, we're so-and-so. And it was somewhere along the level of Puddle of Mud, but it was saliva. It was saliva. So I, don't think I don't think they're local, local, but mm -hmm, they're but they general were, area. Okay. I think I, it was saliva though. And they're like, hi, we're, we're opening for a uh, kiss and Aerosmith. We don't know how or why, but we are opening for them. Austin, stop worrying about the time. I, 
I just worry about the time. Austin, we they've been missing us. We could... It's true. We have so much pent-up podcasting in our bodies. We need to let oh, it out Well, somehow. especially this week, though, because we both were doing our research while sitting in the same room. Always a bad idea. Yeah, because we get distracted and start shouting stuff out to each other. And we had to really with like restrain ourselves because my stuff this week is just like the best drama that you would see on reality TV, celebrity reality shows, but also with sci- I guess it's like the aliens guy almost. And mine is like, it's the perfect amount of bonkers and this is going to make Maddie so angry that I just had to do it and I couldn't tell her anything about it. So we have no idea who went first last week and we were stupid and didn't decide who's going first this week or bother to check. Yeah, you know, I'm going to let you go first this week because you were more excited. I am so excited about my topic. Okay. So I remember a few years ago, like like many of my episodes, this one starts with a meme and me proving a meme wrong. <gasps> So you might remember this. A few years ago, a meme went around saying Thomas Jefferson had a fully reconstructed dinosaur skeleton in the White House, right? Right. Dinosaurs, the first official discovery of dinosaur fossils did not happen until after he was president. And I mean, like after in and out of the office about 10 years after his tenure was done. So it's like, okay, so that's just that's just made up, even though that sounds like something Thomas Jefferson would do. The thing is, he did have skeletons. That he kept in the East Room, but it wasn't a dinosaur. As was it Hamilton's skull? No, Hamilton was alive for most of the story I am telling oh, okay. today. It was a mastodon. Ooh, like the big elephant's mastodon. Yes. Um, several other animals were there too, but a mastodon was his like masterpiece, Ugh. if you will. He was obsessed with mastodons. So what were mastodons? Austin said kind of like elephants, which is true. We learned a lot about woolly mammoths in school, but they didn't talk a whole lot lot about mastodons. I assume they were the same thing, kind of like buffalo and bison. They um, apparently, I I glanced through some, some stuff and apparently Native Americans often referred to the mastodon as the big buffalo because, yes, they were around at the same time. They believe... Uh, that these guys lived until the post-Pleistocene era. So they were around at the same time as Native Americans, which meant Native American lore included them because they were real things that existed that their however many generations back had actually probably hunted and lived around. So the stories continued, but with the language barrier and the way Native American culture often, I'm not saying every culture, but often works, you know, the past and the present and the future are all kind of wibbly wobbly timey wimey in a way. A lot of it kind of came across in the present tense. That's important in a minute. Okay. The uh, mastodons, we learned about woolly mammoths in school. Woolly mammoths and mastodons are part of the same family, which is mammutae. I don't speak Latin. And so... Uh, These were the North American mastodons. They were mammoths. Elephants are not the same family. They just look very similar. Both of these guys, the woolly mammoth is big and very, very woolly. The mammoth are smaller. or I mean, the mastodons are smaller. They are very hairy. They've got glorious hair. It's reddish brown for the most part. But they were smaller than the woolly mammoth, and they had smaller ears. Oh, it's like my sister and me. Your sister's not hairy like you. No, but she does have glorious reddish brown hair. Her hair is red, man. That is not reddish brown. Yeah. 
I've, I, my family carries the shameful, shameful ginger gene. Um, so it is, we do know for sure that they lived simultaneously with Native Americans, and it's believed a combination of climate change and human hunting led to their extinction. Unless you ask Thomas Jefferson, who would have said, they're still here. Yes. Oh my God. So if I'm hearing from this is if there had been like legends of Bigfoot, Thomas Jefferson would have absolutely been hunting for Bigfoot. If he had any evidence of Bigfoot's existence, absolutely. Okay. Because he mentions in some of his writings what the Native Americans had been telling him and telling people around him. And he also had hard evidence that these existed. So if he'd been hearing about Bigfoot and then also had found hard evidence of the existence of Bigfoot, he probably would have been one of the animals that uh, Jefferson was going after. So as Jefferson put it, when talking about his current times, the time he lived in, quote, it may be asked why I insert the mammoth as if he still existed. I ask in return, why should I admit it as if it did not exist? Basically, it probably, uh, he said basically that it probably just moved to places we haven't gone yet because we haven't been too far in the United States and the Native Americans say that it's real. So obviously just moved. Yeah. So like I said, language barriers and different types of traditions, either he really wanted it to still exist or he had interpreted what he'd been told as they still exist. I think it's perfectly logical that he would believe this existed because they've got bones of it. Natives talked about it. And it's like, we have not been to 90% of this country. We don't know this. Yeah. And so there was, um, there's also the fact that he didn't believe in extinction and okay. neither did any of the founding fathers to speak of, but I'll get more into that in a minute. That's okay. Um, neither do a lot of our current, like, you know, Republican members of. Well, they uh, Jefferson actually, oh, hit the mic. As Jefferson did with most things, he had a reason that he explained. And it's not a stupid reason. It is a reason using the information they had available at the time. But this was because there was information coming out that extinction existed, but there wasn't, it wasn't, it was very much a theory still. So at the end of the day, Jefferson, as Atlas Obscura put it, quote, liked science more than he liked politics. He was a fastidious vegetable breeder and weather recorder. He led the American Philosophical Society for 18 years, and he once spent a while re-engineering the plow according to Newtonian principles. Okay. But perhaps most importantly, he was super, super into paleontology to the point where some paleontologists refer to him as the founder of a North American paleontology. So we can blame him for Ross. Ugh. Well, I mean, there are some similarities between the worst features of Jefferson and the everyday features of Ross. Uh, excuse me, but that is my sandwich. Okay, seriously, though, like, how would Jefferson have reacted if somebody had taken his sandwich, eaten half of it, and thrown the other half away? It's like, this was the first Thanksgiving, and there was the first leftovers, and you ruined it. I'm telling you, I feel like David Diggs, based on the research I've done largely for this podcast, but just in general, because Jefferson's come up a lot in a lot of my research and just not made it in, I feel like David Diggs got him right for a lot of this. It was very much me. Look at me. I am the best. I am the smartest. I am the one everyone has to listen to all the time, always. And I'm going to do a dance to prove it. Except it doesn't sound like Jefferson danced a lot. We may never know. But I feel like David Diggs like nailed this interpretation a little bit because, you know, also the real Thomas Jefferson would never want to miss something. No. So American paleontology had already begun by the time the founding fathers were really doing their thing. Never got mentioned in school, even when we were studying like paleontology stuff in elementary school. Not once. In fact, they seemed to ignore the fact that there were dinosaurs in America at all. I wonder if that was to avoid scaring little kids like us. 
But that would have made it so much cooler. Yeah. Like, just like the whole Mastodon thing. They were everywhere. They were as ubiquitous as, like, cows are today. I mean, I'm not saying that for sure, but they were everywhere. Um, particularly, though, in the north and in the east and in, in the south, like the, the eastern side of the country, especially. They did move west a little bit, as you might imagine, but it's not as far west as T. Jeff hoped. Oh. By the time that they were gearing up for the Revolutionary War, a bunch of fossils had already been found. In particular, they kept finding these jawbones and seven foot long tusks in salt lakes and in riverbeds. And then they also, you'll like this, it reminds me of that episode you did with the, was it the Cardiff giant, the one that had yeah. the fake giant in it? Yes. They found, um, in New York, they found the first ever mastodon tooth in 1705. And a farmer said it was the size of a man's fist. It's a big tooth. It was sold, gifted, and traded as a giant's tooth. Yes. So they're like, there are giants in America. Here's tooth as proof. And they, they got, we don't know where it is now. Buried with Thomas Jefferson. So while all of this founding of- it was, No, no. It was in George Washington's mouth. It's part of his dentures. Go on. While all of the founding of America was going on, all of the preparation for the Revolutionary War, all the battles that came before it- all the attempts and failures at any kind of compromise, all of this, the whole time Jefferson's going, can I talk about mastodons now? Can I talk about mastodons now? I really want to talk about mastodons now. And he wasn't the only one in this for a lot of reasons, uh, not specifically mastodons, but just large animals in America was actually a very important thing. But mastodons were important to a lot of the founding fathers, just not to the extent that they were important to Jefferson. So I want you to imagine this guy is like writing the Constitution and thinking, I want to go play with my mastodon bones. Okay, during the course of you talking, Jefferson has morphed from David Diggs in my head to being Sheldon. There actually is some of that too. Uh, so Jefferson had a rival, not a rival, like the word, like the single word, two different words. He had a rival. Now, the musical Hamilton would lead us to believe that his rival was Alexander Hamilton. Yes. And I'm not saying that those two were besties or anything, but the Jefferson-Hamilton rivalry had nothing on the rivalry, largely one-sided, between Jefferson and French naturalist Georges, uh, I'm gonna, I don't speak French, Georges-Louis Le, Leclerc Comte de Buffon, mostly just referred to as Buffon. Buffon wrote something that honestly sounds like what our dude Pliny wrote, which is a 46-volume series called Histoire Naturelle, again, don't speak French, which had over 400 birds and mammals, along with theories of how they were domesticated, what they ate, their, like every part they played in the ecosystem, plus a new theory about the origin of the Earth, because why not? That fits right in. Oh, yeah. That sounds a lot like what our dude Pliny the Elder did. Um, P.S. The reason we have Earth is that a comet hit the sun and splintered into the solar system. So all the planets are actually pieces of a giant ass comet, if you ask uh, Buffon. That's a big ass comet. Mm hmm. So obviously, as we all know, Jefferson was a voracious reader, especially of anything related to science. He loved science. Well, he got hold of these books. And then he got to vol volume five, in which Buffon had proposed the theory of American degeneracy. Oh, I know all about that. That's how he got the Kardashians and Jersey Shore. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the Jersey Shore version of Snooky does fit directly in with the definition of this. Although, based on what I've seen of her since, she's actually like, it's clear she was playing a character. Okay. Uh, first, it's worth noting, Buffon had never been to America. Everything he knew that was in that book, he had heard secondhand. 
However, in it, he said, quote, no American animal can be compared with the elephant, the rhinoceros, the hippopotamus, the dromedary, the camelpurd, the buffalo, the lion, the tiger, etc. We've mentioned camelpurds on here before, um, which are giraffes. Yeah. And when people here were like, um, what about our bears? They were like, no, no, our bears are better because they're bigger. And also, while we're at it, your deer have really small antlers and your wolves have lame ass tails. And even your domesticated animals are wusses. So th- oh, I am ready to fight this Frenchman. Well, this wasn't just him. To the him. time machine. This wasn't just him. This was Europe. I will fight all of Europe. They were weak. And that's what they were saying about us, um, which is part of why a lot of things happened, it sounds like, uh, in the founding of america because they were saying our animals were stupid how dare you he said that the wet and cold in america now first of all remember how close france is to england yeah uh this is the first time i think we've ever been like defend america like whoa first of all i'm talking about all these animals that aren't even in europe they're in africa Hey, they remember how they brought them into Europe to be like, look at our animals. Okay. There's a ghost bear at the Tower of London, for God's sake. Oh, that's... So he said that the wet and cold nature of America caused both animal and people to become small and weak. As At- Atlas Obscure's article over this is phenomenal, everyone. They said, quote, Buffon couldn't have come up with a better way to piss, Je- piss off Jefferson if he had tried. But that wasn't his goal. The budding American statesman wasn't even on Buffon's radar. He, meaning Buffon, was too focused on taking down his own greatest rival, Carl Linnaeus, inventor of taxonomy. And also hater of coffee. Yes, we've talked about Linnaeus a couple of times. So Buffon is writing Histoire Naturelle to attack Linnaeus, and eventually Jefferson's going to write a book to attack Buffon. (laughs) And Buffon's like, what the fuck, bro? I wasn't even talking. He was like, all the science that I've never seen firsthand points to me being right. And Linnaeus is over here like, but taxonomy. And we've got Jefferson going, oh, yeah. And then there's Linnaeus. Eh, Just don't worry about him. He can't possibly be important. So... (laughs) This, I, guys, I thought this was going to be a boring story about this, looking for mastodons. Like, it, it's like, it's like, oh no, it's Jefferson with the steel chair. Now, we're going to talk about Buffon a lot here, but let's remember, remember how much Jefferson didn't like or agree with Hamilton. Let's compare this to some pop culture. Jefferson versus Hamilton today would be kind of like Dwayne Johnson versus Vin Diesel. These are two guys who can't be in the same room without fighting. But at the end of the day, if a bus was heading towards one of them, the other one would probably still push them out of the way. Yeah. Jefferson versus Buffon is Kanye West versus Taylor Swift. When Kanye unexpectedly stole her thunder during the VMAs and called her a bitch in a song and has gotten the Kardashians to hate her and all that shit. And I know Kanye would not push Taylor out of the way of a bus. And I feel like Taylor would at least hesitate. Now, I'm not saying neither Jefferson nor Hamilton would hesitate, but I feel like they would do it. Mm-hmm. Taylor, I'd give it like a 60-40 that she would do yeah, it. Uh, for, I think uh, Jefferson or Hamilton would be like, holy shit, what is this thing? I have never seen this monster. <laughs> Uh, in fact, they would never have seen a bus. In fact, Hamilton was on Jefferson's side with disproving that the nature in America was killing everything. They agreed. Most of the founding fathers did that. They were like, we need to actually 
make sure people know that our our weather here actually isn't the problem. Now, as we have learned in previous episodes, our weather actually was a huge problem because we didn't know how to farm in it. No. And that's why we needed the Native Americans to help us. And then we killed them all off because how? what's the better way to say thank you? America, our tradition is thanking people with diseases. I did see a meme that I need to look into next. Oh, yay. That is... um. Basically about how, uh, I believe it was Columbus, there was no syphilis in America before Columbus got here, but there also hadn't been syphilis in Europe either, Meaning, but the only syphilis they had found was in llamas. I don't know if it's true. I am not saying that it's true. I'm saying that it has some future meme inspiration material happening. I'm not saying that Christopher Columbus would have sex with a llama, but he seems like the llama fucking type. <laughs> So Hamilton was on Jefferson's side. Basically, everyone was on Jefferson's side in America. Europe had all taken the idea of American degeneracy to heart, and it was everybody believed it. Everybody thought this was true. I mean, it was in a science book. Of course, it's yeah. true. Like, I mean, someone took the time to write this down. I mean, it think about the fact that people are still defending to this day the things they learned in science class in eighth grade, despite the fact that science has been like, oh, wait, we are wrong. Yeah. Like the, you know, there are two sexes, male, female. And now we actually know there's something like over 40. Yeah. Actual at the chromosomal level for a lot of them. Mm -hmm. But like, no, in eighth grade science, they told us. So, yeah, there's like there's weird uh, chromosomal abnormalities where you can have like I remember uh, the only one I remember by name is meta female in which you have three X chromosomes instead of two. I don't know most of the words. I know some of the ones that involve the external parts, yeah. but I don't know the chromosome words. Anyway, um, at the same time, though, part of this was that the founding fathers, for the most part, legitimately didn't believe that the, ma the mastodons were extinct. Um, in fact, not just mastodon, but any animals that they were finding fossils of. They're like, so we're finding fossils of all these dead animals. Where are they? They must have moved west. Like, yeah. If we, when we go west, we'll find them. They just, you know, they decided they didn't like it here. So that's what they were thinking. This is actually like a war of its own, though, with the rest of the world believing that American degeneracy was a real thing. I will fight you, world. Okay, we gotta admit, though, our weather does really suck here. I mean, we spent the beginning of this talking about tornadoes. Yeah, yeah. We, uh... But we also proved that we are tougher than tornadoes because we just look outside and see what color the sky is. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, it's like, hold on. Uh, the last few podcasts we've had, uh, everything froze, the power is out, tornadoes. Yeah, that tracks. Legit, our though, the primary reason we go to the basement the moment the sirens go off now is because we have four cats we have to wrangle down there and we don't want to have to rush that because last time we had to go down down there it was like a fucking three stooges episode as soon as we open the door one would run out one would run in we have enough cages now yeah um so the rest of the world was actually beginning to believe america was weak they believed our great experiment in democracy would die because we humans along with the animals would become too weak to support the concept of democracy and potentially die out ourselves so that's actually a big part of why they were like, eh, whatever they're doing, whatever, we'll just ignore them. And that's like why the rest of the world's like, we can still take them over. It's not yeah, that hard. They're small and weak. Like, like they're animals. There's also like during the Revolutionary War, the average like American was like taller and fitter and heavier and healthier than anyone who was in England. But remember, this is, Buffon had never been to America. Mm. And anybody who would come here and go back would likely have an agenda. 
it made this harder, too, when people like Jefferson would go to travel to Europe for trade or negotiations, whatever it might need to be, because the theory was so well known that Americans are, by nature, small and weak. And there's a story, though, because Ben Franklin has to enter here somehow, right? Oh, here we go. So Ben Franklin was just fucking done. So he gets to a dinner table and there's Americans on one side and Europeans on one, the other side. And this concept of American degeneracy comes up and he goes, fine, motherfuckers. Here's what we're going to do. Okay. He actually said, let both parties rise and we will see on which side nature has degenerated. <laughs> Basically, I mean, everybody stand up. Let's see who's taller. Uh, this the, was Franklin. This is Franklin. It was a dick measuring contest and you know it. The French guy refused to get up. <laughs> So, and Jeff, he stayed seated, basically proving that he, oh shit, I am smaller than them. And also perhaps that he was weaker in spirit and not willing to uh, defend it after that. And Jefferson referred to that guy as a mere shrimp. <laughs> so this became a matter of patriotism as much as a matter of science. If they were not able to find these mammoths and other large animals, what if American degeneracy was right? Or what if that meant something completely weird about the world itself? Extinction, many of them, didn't exist. And even as it became more understood and believed, Jefferson was like, no, no, that doesn't happen. There were people, not Jefferson, as we've known from the past, but people who legitimately believed animals wouldn't be allowed to go ex extinct by God because God created them, therefore that they're, they're supposed to be here. And then there are others, and this is the camp that Jefferson fell into, that thought extinction would significantly imbalance the ecosystem to the point where nothing could survive. And he said, quote, in fine, the bones exist, therefore the animal has existed. The movements of nature are in a never-ending circle. So he was like, things can't go extinct because the ecosystem would be too far thrown off. So they're somewhere. They're just somewhere where they are more needed in the ecosystem. And um, they're just more needed in the ecosystem as part of the soil, it turns out. So He was so obsessed. And I'm going to be using mammoths and mastodons back and forth because he was referring to these as mammoths because they actually already knew about mammoths. They were in Europe. And so um, mastodon didn't become a term until later on. Um, he became so obsessed with the idea of mammoths that he would just go on and on about these animals to anyone who would listen. He would make his friends who would go traveling send him back things like mammoth teeth and these are not small, through the mail, and he wouldn't pay for postage. They were just expected to do this for him. And I actually have this written down, so I'm, it's funny that you brought this up. Everything he did next was a dick measuring contest with Buffon. <laughs> <laughs> he had to prove that mastodons were still alive and that Buffon had a smaller penis. <laughs> to prove at least the mastodon part of the belief, he sent people westward to look for mastodons. Two people in particular. Lewis and Clark. Lewis and Clark. <gasps> yes. The reason we were told in school that they went west was to find out, you know, what's out there? What can we trade? What land can we have? How can we make more money? And a large part of it was him going, I need you to find really big animals. And I need you to prove to me that they exist. And I need you to send me back bones. And like, when you see them in real life, just like write down where you saw them. Okay. If it wasn't for mastodons, this expedition, they're reading through everything I read. I feel like there's a good chance this expedition wouldn't have happened. Why don't we leave this? <laughs> or at least he wouldn't have given it the funding he gave it, even if he did send them westward to do the parts that we were taught in school. I feel like he probably wouldn't have given them as much money if he didn't truly believe they were going to find mastodons or at least something like that walking around out there. 
And as we know, there are some big animals when you get out west. Oh my god, like, yeah. Have you have you ever seen a moose? Oh, moose come up in the story here. What? Or like a bison or Those don't grizzly come bear. Bears don't come up because they're smaller than European bears. But no, they're, they're, they're larger. Not, they're not. I know. Moose come up in this, though, and panthers come up in this, though. Oh, so. I forgot about the panthers. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we are talking about that Lewis and Clark expedition. In actuality, they were supposed to be spending a good chunk of their time looking for mastodons or any other large animal or the fossils thereof to prove that these animals were out there somewhere beneath the pale moonlight. And we come to Feifel, an American tale. (laughs) Hey, they are going west. (laughs) No, the sequel! This is the prequel. This was way before any of that. Okay. In reality, it's about a mouse looking for mastodons. Never found them. So imagine, like, we've talked about this expedition a little bit. I don't think we've done a full deep dive just on the expedition, but it's come up a few times because it has to do a lot. So not only are they having to carry, you know, all the things for trading purposes and samples of smaller things, they're now having to carry fucking dinosaur bones when they find them. And no, mastodons are not dinosaurs, but you know there are dinosaurs out there. If it was a big bone, they were supposed to bring it back. Or at the very least, send it back. So when they got to a place in Cincinnati where they could correspond and send mail to Jefferson, they sent him a shit ton of bones, um, like a big amount of mastodon bones, which got lost in transit and we have never found them. No! It's like, I mean, talk about quite the fine for porch pirates, right? Like Amazon delivered it to the wrong address <laughs> and like they, th- they, they thought you said a White House, not the White House. It's just, it's, it, it was all got sent to Mount Vernon and Martha Washington's like, the fuck is this? <laughs> um, so Lewis and Clark expedition ends, but Jefferson is not done. He looks at Clark and he's like, hey, you want some more work? And Clark's like, okay. Now I can't remember which one of them was Lewis and Clark. One of them was a weird choice for all of this. So it must have been Lewis that was the weird choice if he's sending Clark. But anyway. Um, he sent him to, I know you're actually going to be, Big Bone Lick <laughs> in Kentucky in 1806 or 1807, depending on the source. He actually did pay for this, as opposed to having other people mail shit back to him. And and that, Clark sent 300 bones back to the White House. The, uh, this is where the dinosaur myth comes from. Jefferson meticulously cataloged each bone that was sent back, mastodon or otherwise, divided them into different animals because this guy could tell whether or not this bone belonged to this animal without knowing what these animals actually were most of the time. He should be like, these ones look like they belong to the same animal. And then he would send them to museums and he would send them to France to be further studied. And in France, that's how they were able to determine that this was a different species, but same family as the European mammoths. Therefore, they became the American mastodon. But I'm not done yet. You're not done yet? These weren't the only prehistoric animals Jefferson was into. In many ways, at the end of the day, he was a scientist and he discovered a new species. One that we never learned in school. This was out in America. He believed that he had discovered a lion. This animal was ultimately called Megalonyx jeffersoni, with him coming up with the Megalonyx part, which is Greek for great claw. And him thinking it was a lion is not surprising. It walked on four legs. It was nine feet long. It had a tail. It looked kind of like a lion based on the skeleton. It was not a lion. It was a sloth. What? It was a nine foot long motherfucking sloth that could stand up on its hind legs and it had big ass claws and it would fuck you up if you pissed the sloth off. (gasps) 
it lived uh, 150,000 to 10,000 10,000 years ago. So that's a big ass sloth. Yes. What would Kristen Bell even do? Be scared of this one. This was another animal that Lewis and Clark were supposed to look for on their expedition and did not find because it was extinct. Throughout all of this, throughout the revolution and his presidency and the deaths of everyone he loved, Jefferson was always obsessed with these with Buffon. He had to defeat Buffon. It wasn't just Lewis and Clark he made look for them. He made the other founding fathers look for them and document <laughs> anything they found. Everyone was expected <laughs> to take part in this experiment and no questions were supposed to be asked. And finally, Buffon was like, Okay, bro, chill. And in one of his volumes, if I understood it correctly, he finally just brings up the mammoth and he says, I saw these bones. Yes, they are six times larger than an elephant's. Yes, this did exist in America. It's dead now. Leave me alone, Jefferson. (laughs) I don't know if he actually said Jefferson, but that's what it was. So in response, Jefferson took this personally. He decided to be like, I'm going to go after Buffon myself. He went to France, as he often did, with a panther skin that he just dumped on Buffon's door. He was like, motherfucking panther from America, bitch. And then I feel like he pieced out. Mm-hmm. There might have been an actual He invented the microphone and then he immediately dropped it. Yes. And then he tried for years to get a stuffed moose in its entirety sent to Buffon on a ship. <laughs> for years, he was trying to get anybody to effectively taxidermy a moose. Send it across the ocean and dump it outside this naturalist's house and be like, America! But you can't fit a moose on a boat. Well, um, eventually he did get a stuffed something to move on. <laughs> By the time it got to him, the word that was used in the article was putrefied. Oh. And they don't know what animal's antlers were, were tied onto its head, but it was not moose antlers. <laughs> so in my head... Jefferson just said, fuck it, and, like, took a bunch of animals and, like, loosely sewed them together and sent them to this guy, like, the world's worst bag of flaming dog shit on Halloween. (laughs) So, Jefferson's not done with motherfucking Buffon. No, no, of course not. It is 1780 by this time. This has been happening for years. (laughs) And the secretary of the French delegation came to Jefferson with questions about Virginia. Just tell us what Virginia is. Because, like, they're not trying to take us over like British Britain still kind of was. So they were like, what is this Virginia that you that you speak of? So obviously Jefferson was like, oh, yes, I will gladly answer your questions. And he did it with his Polonius-like brevity in that he wrote a 244-page book. It was called The Notes on the State of Virginia, which you can find the entirety of online. I did not read the whole thing because I do have a life. But I did do a find to see how many times different words were used. Mammoth shows up 12 times, predominantly in the section where they talk about, you know, fossils and animals. Buffon, 30 times. (laughs) They did not ask him about Buffon. (laughs) The questions were things like, how big is Virginia? And how many rivers does Virginia have? And he was like, well, first of all, fuck Buffon. That was what he was writing. When talking about the mammoth, which he was still calling it, he flat out calls out Buffon saying, quote, the skeleton of the mammoth or for the incognitum that uh, incognitum has been called bespeaks an animal five or six times the cubit volume of the elephant, as Monsieur de Buffon has admitted. So basically, this asshole Buffon is saying we don't have animals like elephants, but by his own damn assertion, we have elephants. So there. <laughs> I remember at this point, Jefferson still doesn't believe in extinction. But, but sir, this isn't this is a Wendy's. <laughs> 
<laughs> From now on, whenever we get Maverick, come to yell, motherfucking Buffon. <laughs> And Buffon's going to be, like, from the dead going, guys, leave me alone. I wasn't even mad at Jefferson. Show you some America's degeneracy, motherfucker. <laughs> I feel like this is the only time we have been patriotic in our lives. And it's because they're being mean about our animals. I mean, that's... It's kind of like when we watch a horror movie and we're like, pause it, we have to find out if the dog dies. You are positive we have to find out if the dog dies, but I... You have never said No? No. Nope. And you have never argued when I turned off the movie when I found out yes. Uh-uh. I've just ma- I've just made you the villain in the story. It's necessary. Um, I am not Aaron Burr. Oh god, did he find the living mammoth mammoth and kill it in a du- duel? <laughs> in a duel. A duel. So remember, at this point, Jefferson still didn't believe in extinction. And so he would go he was going on and on. Because I did read chunks of this. It's actually it's dry, but it's beautifully written because it's Jefferson. So it was actually kind of interesting, but I was not gonna read through all 244 pages about the number of rivers in Virginia. He goes on and on about how people are saying we don't have sun, which means our animals are dying. And he says, um, yeah, we have a lot of animals and plants, which means we have sun. And I know this is going to be a shot, guys, but it's the same sun that you have. We actually get more of it because we're closer to the equator. And he actually wrote something along those lines, but in much nicer Jeffersonian words, where it was, guys, same fucking sun. There are not multiple suns. So uh, what are you even talking about? After all of this, Buffon was like, you know what? Fuck it. And just stopped responding to anything Jefferson would do. <laughs> he left him on red? He left him on red. Red. He turned those read receipts on and was like, I'ma just sit here. <laughs> the only better thing he could have done is just sent him a letter from France all the way across the ocean that was lowercase k period. <laughs> now, as we get into the 1800s, oh, Buffon died before, okay. before Jefferson did. Uh, we get into the 1800s. The rest of the world kind of dropped the American degeneracy thing, kind of realizing, oh, wait, that doesn't make any sense. But Jefferson was, like I said, obsessed. Buffon is dead. The world no longer really thought America was weak. But this was such a major part of his life now. He still didn't believe animals would go extinct because it would mess with nature too much. Though at this time, we have another French naturalist coming up who is beginning to argue that extinction was actually very common. And Jefferson was like, eh, don't worry about him. I, can't, I didn't even write down his name because I didn't recognize it and he didn't come up again. But Jefferson was like, no, it was no longer just about Buffon. And Buffon is dead. So clearly Buffon's extinct. So whatever. <laughs> so Jefferson turned his attention entirely to the Mastodon itself. But he, towards the end of his life, began to accept that extinction may be possible. But only if something replaced what went extinct. There had to be something that would keep the ecosystem in balance. We have letters where he is talking about this. And you know what animal he never once mentions? The mastodon. The mastodon. To the end of his days, he would never, at least out loud, admit the possibility that the mastodon had gone extinct. And so, as I got, go ahead. So it sounds like, like if so, he just didn't, he didn't believe it because he didn't understand like the mechanism of extinction and something replacing it. So there wasn't the theory of evolution yet. So that was like the piece Jefferson was missing on this. Um, it was the beginnings of the theory of evolution. Of evolution. Okay, so they just didn't have a like a very complete picture yet. So I know the word Darwin came up at some point during my research, but that was not my focus, and I didn't want to get on that. So just to be clear on this, while I was writing this part, the song "Hold On Hope." from the uh, so, uh, Scrub soundtrack was playing, which kind of probably informed how I wrote a good chunk of the rest of this. 
I highly recommend that song, Hold on Hope, but you will feel things. Um, So Jefferson survived the death of many of his friends, a lot of his family. He watched people kill each other off in the war. Maybe the Mastodon was something he needed to have survived. Just so something that was bigger than himself and tangible would still be around. He believed in the great American experiment and that America would continue, but America is not tangible. The Constitution may be a living document, but it's not alive. So maybe he needed that Mastodon to be alive so that at least one life he cared about would go on forever. Now, obviously, he had kids and stuff that he didn't hate, but like it was this greater thing than himself. He went to his grave, never fully, never admitting that this could be extinct, and he never stopped his search for a living mammoth. Um, you can still find some of Jefferson's collection. Uh, some are in France, some are in different historical sites in the States. The ones he gave to the American Philosophical Society are at the Academy of Natural Sciences in Philadelphia. They've been there since 1849. Interestingly, the record of what was in that collection, because it was he was meticulous, was lost at some point. And to this day, they don't know what a lot of the specimens are. There could be other undiscovered species that Jefferson found that they have not been able to figure out because they lost his records. Oh, dude. Now, we still have these pieces and, you know, I have my belief that Jefferson needed these to be real and needed it to be something that lived on after him and was alive the whole time and he was fighting for it. He might not have been wrong. Yes, the animal, the mastodon, is extinct. But you know how Americans are all about having things that are bigger and better than everywhere else? Well, when he was working on his skeleton in the East Room, it made the news. And of course, Americans knew about this theory of American degeneracy. So people began to like sell things that were mammoth-themed. Not that they looked like mammoths, but the word mammoth came to mean massive and big and strong. There was a mammoth eater, like in a food eating competition, who ate 42 eggs in 10 minutes. Oh, my stomach hurts thinking about this. And there was even a guy from Massachusetts who sent Jefferson a 1,260 pound mammoth cheese. This whole bigger is better idea seems to have seeped into the country's consciousness and helped us develop our identity as a nation. We are a nation literally built on mammoths. So even though the Mastodon is gone, and even though Jefferson didn't get his wish for it to be physically alive, its influence remains an important part of the country. If it hadn't been for the Mastodon, perhaps we wouldn't have explored as much or as early or as thoroughly as we did. If it weren't for the Mastodon, perhaps we wouldn't have this idea that we need to be the biggest and the strongest and the most intimidating. And maybe we are the Mastodon. And life, you know, found a way. I am very hairy. I had this ending I was so proud of, and you didn't even give it a pause before you made a break. A joke. I'm sorry. Okay. I even had a Jurassic Park reference in that last sentence, and you were too busy thinking of your joke. It's You are wearing a Jurassic Park t-shirt, sir. You spared you spared no expenses on this, and I am so sorry. Damn it, Buffon. I am the Buffon. <laughs> So yeah, I was expecting this to be kind of a boring story about Jefferson being super into Mastodons, and it turned out to have like all this drama and intrigue and rivalries and America being founded on extinct animals, and there's a lot happening here. Thanks, John. Thanks, TJ. That was neat! Are you ready for questions? 
is one of them going to be how it's like, holy shit, did you ever expect to be patriotic again? And the answer was no. But remember, we are patriotic just because we need our animals to be fucking respected. It's like, don't disrespect our animals. Do not go after Mothman. We will fight you. Yeah. Um, Bigfoot will come out of the woods at you in an ape-like rage and start throwing rocks at your cabin. Now, and there is like, like you mentioned with Bigfoot and stuff, it's, you can't prove a negative um, so we don't have much in the way of evidence that Bigfoot does now or has ever existed. But what did I say about the uh, specimens that were that are in Philadelphia right now? We don't know what a bunch of them are. Yeah. And it's been almost 200 years. Yep. There could be. A, Those could be some Bigfoot in there. We could some Bigfoots, big feet, Bigfoots. Bigfoots. I've seen it. I've seen it both ways. Yeah. We could have some. We could have a Bigfoot in there. We could have, you know, some sea monsters. Who knows? We don't know. Like Champagne Maybe they monster. do know what all of them are, and they're just not telling us. That's why. Maybe Bigfoot runs this historical society. Have you ever seen the head of the historical society? No. It's because it's Bigfoot, and he's in the woods. And, the, like, he's in he, he's in most of the photos, but for some reason, he's kind of blurry. Yeah. All right, so will this be on the test? Jefferson developed a years-long hatred of Buffon, despite Buffon actually having a different rival. Yeah, that'll absolutely be on the test. Jefferson put together a mastodon skeleton in the White House, as well as parts of several other animals. Absolutely. That's really cool. That'll get kids interested in shit. Part of the purpose of the Lewis and Clark expedition was to prove mastodons existed. No, because that shit is noble and has to remain that way. The founding fathers largely didn't believe in extinction. No, because that's a weird concept to explain. And the theory of American degeneracy is a big part of why the rest of the world thought our country wouldn't survive. You know what? Yeah. Teach kids that because I want to see a classroom of angry kindergartners screaming about the about Buffon. God damn it, Buffon. 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 Buffon really had nothing to do with any of this. He was like like you know a lot of scientists for him using the information he had, but in this case, he really had no business writing about it because he could have traveled and just didn't. <laughs> Be like, all right, motherfuckers, I'm gonna write you a tourist guide no. to Oregon. Like, you've never been to Oregon. I've heard things. I feel like maybe we should start doing that. Just start writing tourist guides to places we have not researched and know nothing about. Spinoff podcast, how uh, to travel places we've never been. We only, we have a 15 minute limit on our Google research. The rest we make no, up. No, we are not allowed to use Google. We have to use Bing. Hey, Bing is actually a fairly accurate search engine. The primary difference between Google and Bing is that Google tracks you more. Oh. But if you really want to not be tracked, that one is DuckDuckGo. It's still around. You can still duck that go and basically have everything you search for be in incognito mode. But kids remember, even when it's in incognito mode, the forensic computer scientists can still get hold of it. So don't do illegal stuff online. Yeah. Or at all, but... Just don't do illegal stuff. Don't commit crimes. The more you know. The more you know. Well, talking of crimes, I am going to do my part of the podcast now. So... <laughs> You're like, it's been an hour. It's been an hour. It's been... 84 years, Jack. The approximate length of Jefferson's rivalry with Buffon. Buffon. <laughs> so it's been about a third of a Jefferson speech, so let's get... <laughs> All right. So uh, I started researching Freud. It's like, okay, this is kind of interesting. Then I ran across one of his associates, uh, Princess Napoleon. It's like, she's weird. Is there enough to research on this? And then at the bottom of an article on her, I saw a related article. And I said, oh, the fuck is this? Why, yes, I'll do a podcast on this. And so I'm going to talk about a English sex cult. Dear Lord. 
Okay, Austin, why on earth would we learn about sex cult in school? This will not be on the test. That is the answer to all the questions. Episode over. Oh, Class dismissed. But wait. It's... Because, like, the last time we did a British sex cult, it was kind of boring. But then there was this one, 80 years after that one, which, according to, according to the people who were talking about this cult, it had a vast secret membership. It was people brainwashed into being spies for Germany during the war. There was a dancer, a member of parliament. Uh, there was the looming specter of Oscar Wilde all over this. And there was a ton of courtroom drama. And this fictional cult had the best name ever. The College cult- Theater Department. The Cult of the Clitoris. Oh, dear Lord. So, never mind. The jokes write themselves. Men will never find this cult. It was a hooded order. So, this seems like the perfect Austin story, right? But the problem is, this cult never existed. It was a fake cult. Completely made up. Like the one I had in high school. You were in a cult? No, I was the founder. People had did some... You, did you make a lot of money? No, I didn't really know what I was doing. But uh... if you paid attention to some of our friends who had happy faces drawn on their arms, it meant... Actually, it was technically a... I, I called it a religion like they always do. That meant they were part of... They, they were in the religion that worshipped me. I think they, I, was I in that religion? I don't remember. I don't know. But some of them have gone on to be very powerful people. Like, legitimately powerful people. You need to call people, in some favors. And I, I don't understand how I went wrong. <laughs> You should have kept at it. See, that's the problem is when you start a cult, you got to follow through. Yeah, but still, yeah, this wasn't a real cult. It was just a big old panic about changing society during World War One. And this story is a little bit rambly, even by our standards. So bear with me. Is a man about to try to explain the clitoris to us? So, no, no. I'm about to explain a little bit of history going into this because it involves Oscar Wilde. I'm sorry, is a man about to try to explain the clitoris to us? I am about to explain the cult of the clitoris. (laughs) No, I'm talking about Oscar Wilde now. Yeah, Oscar Wilde. It's one of his lesser known works. And he seemed really kind of grossed out by the entire thing. (laughs) So now, during the time, homosexuality was a criminal offense in England. It started being a criminal offense in 1885 and remained one until 1960. You'd be a amazed at like how long that's lasted in some and what was it 1970s where i think it was sweden declared homosexuality a disease people called in gay to work yeah and of course you know i will say uh in france homosexuality had been legal since the french revolution so they are french they are french and it was also like widely accepted across it wasn't accepted but it was decriminalized in germany because they were like more liberal in that country until a big change in the 30s and also like don't you have bigger things to worry about than where people are putting pieces that in the privacy of their own homes and oscar wilde would be a great future podcast episode so i'm just gonna like brush over this but i haven't talked about i talked about tennessee williams didn't i so so much more interesting than your topic today i mean it's interesting (laughs) it's infuriating to modern standards but it's interesting okay so in 1891 uh, oscar wilde began an affair with lord alfred douglas who was 16 years younger than him. But please tell me he was not only 16 years old. No, he was... He in, was 12. He, please, please. He had some standards. He was 17. <laughs> no, he was... No, I don't. I didn't see how old he was, but he was an It adult. would have mentioned it if he wasn't a grown-ass yeah. man. He was a grown-ass man who was just far younger than Wilde. Well, um, Lord Alfred's father, the Marquis of Queensbury, uh, found out about this and was super pissed off. 
And in English fashion, the Marquis of Queensbury left a calling card for Wilde at a private club that Wilde was a member of. It read, for Oscar Wilde, the posing sodomite. (laughs) And this was a big scandal for Wilde. So he sued the Marquis of Queensbury for defamation. And it all went to trial in 1895 at the London Central Criminal Court, the Old Bailey. Mm -hmm. And it did not go well for Wilde. Uh, The defense had witnesses of Wilde's listening young men, and they brought up his written works with their homoerotic themes. Like, for example, The Portrait of Dorian Gray, his most famous work, has some very homoerotic themes to it where he's obsessed with this young beautiful man isn't the young beautiful man himself there's also another young beautiful man he becomes obsessed with okay because i've literally read the first chapter of that book yeah so this doesn't wasn't going well so wild withdrew his case which prompted authorities to arrest him because they viewed him withdrawing his libel suit as admitting that he had committed the crime of homosexuality so he was charged with 25 counts of gross indecency and they brought out even more witnesses and they also used uh lord douglas's poems uh written about wilde as evidence especially his line a love that dare not speak its name is that where we get that from? that's where we that's where we get that from huh so uh wilde was found guilty and was sentenced to two years of hard labor in addition to that Uh, The Lord Chamberlain banned his plays from being performed in England, and his other written works just kind of fell out of favor and more or less disappeared from the country. Then we get to my story. (laughs) In 1918, in England, we are well into World War I, and a 44-year-old actress and dancer named Maud Allen was trying to do a revival performance of the dance that made her famous, the Dance of the Seven Veils. Uh-huh. Uh, she, you know, she had started her dancing career later in life, and this is when she t- took off as a big success. She was internationally known. She got acting gigs from this very sensual dance where she's slowly stripping off gauzy layers and dancing in this in this play and opera of Salome Mm -hmm. which bible story time Salome is a biblical figure who danced so sexy for King Herod that he granted her anything she wanted as a reward so she asked for the head of John the Baptist okay yeah so yeah, she got famous for this sexy dance. It made her a pinup sensation. She was on postcards. She's famous in America and in Europe. And she's in her 40s. And she's in her 40s. She Get was, it, girl. This was her... She was in her 40s when she did that. She had done it earlier, younger in her life. But, but you like, said that she still started late in life. She this still started, she started she in her like, 30s. Yeah, like... and. I mean, if you look at photos of people who looked like even 20 years ago when they were... Yeah. Not, even, not 20, let's say 30, 40 years ago when they were our age. They look so they much looked, older. They looked older and yeah. like teenagers looked like they were 30. And mm-hmm. so, so get it, girl. But she had never performed in England. And the, uh, some people who wanted to kind of like stealthily bring back Oscar Wilde's works into England were bringing in an opera of Salome based on his play, which is based on a biblical figure. So this is kind of like a little sideways, like, yeah, we can sneak this in. They're not going to catch us. And so they decided they'd bring her in to do this dance, to bring it some star power and make it famous. Even the king saw it and said, like, oh, boy, how come you've never performed in England before? And she said, well, I was never asked. So, yeah, big success, you'd think. Well, in the audience was the wife of a member of parliament, uh, Noel Pemberton Billing. Uh, His wife saw it and she was scandalized. So she went to her husband about it and he had some clout, especially with a bunch of like very right wing newspapers at the time and tabloids. And there was in it published a story about her being a spy, a lesbian spy who was part spy for lesbians or a spy who was a lesbian, a spy who was a lesbian. And it was part of a big gay German conspiracy. 
Oh my god. The cult of the clitoris. Oh, okay. okay. Can you imagine today if that kind of thing came out, how much like they would just jump on it and be like, yes, yes, yes. you've caught me. This is all very real. It would and, be, it's, it's led by Jonathan Van Ness, interestingly enough. He can, he, Jonathan Van Ness can do whatever the hell he wants anymore. It's, he's allowed. They, they, they can do whatever they want. I actually looked it up yesterday, uh, the pronouns thing, because I was having a discussion with somebody about uh, whether or not they would ever do Masked Singer. And Jonathan Van Ness is comfortable with he, she, or they. Okay. Because I remember like reading something a while ago, but okay, back to my thing. <laughs> Let's talk about me now. So, <laughs> I'm the, sorry, Jonathan Van Ness came up, so you are no longer important. It's, I accept that, and that is a truth. Maybe he'll fix our roof. <laughs> so, that would be the, the queer eye guys just come out and fix our roof. Yeah, it's like we're not asking you for to refashion like, either one of us. We know we're lost causes, but our roof, our roof, and our our house just in general, guys. If you could just like come and refashion yeah. our house. That'd be great. Yeah. So this this article said that she was a prominent member of a submit of a subversive German fifth column, which basically means that these like the these gay people in, infiltrating our society are going to have these German sun, being sentimental towards Germany because they've legalized homosexuality. So obviously they're going to be pro-German and they're going to sabotage the war effort at home and disrupt things. Mm. And basically them being here will be as disruptive as if there were a few thousand more fighting men in the trenches on Germany's side. Tracks, yes. All tracks. Um, it was a group composed of, and I quote, lesbians, sodomites, artists, poets, lawyers, and politicians. I have literally seen that on protest signs in the last year. Yes. That these are the people who are going to hell. Yeah. And... Again, clearly, they must have German sympathies. And there was even a black book that some that some claim to have seen, even though it is actually at the same time safely guarded behind the German lines, containing the 47,000 names of the, the binders full of women, the binders full of gay men and lesbians that are <laughs> fighting for Germany and Jesus England. Christ. So Maud sued for libel against this because it's like, can we I, bring back the name Maud? I feel like I might have mentioned that before. But that's a great a, name. It's great, but she had a couple of problems. First of all, she actually was a lesbian. Oh, and but she was not a spy. Was she like a? Was she known to be a lesbian? I, it's unclear because like that's a challenging thing there because you know she, um after this she did live with her partner in California until her death. So a little bit of conjecture, but we're not sure exactly how open she was with that. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of people in the arts, if you look throughout history, who never actually came out, but everybody knew. And they lived with their roommate mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, but they would still, since they weren't out, if you couldn't prove anything, you could still sue for libel if you needed to. And now this sounds a lot like Oscar Wilde's case, but mm -hmm. there's a couple of key differences. First of all, being a lesbian was not a criminal offense. Oh. Their belief was that sex was inherently a masculine act. So how on earth could two women possibly have sex? <laughs> I'm just picturing like someone just coming up and whispering into some like old member of parliament's ear and him going, they what? <laughs> Sorry, I'm thinking about, oh God, what show is it? And like, which one of you opens up? Oh, it's The Office. <laughs> which, <laughs> Angela? Oh, God. No, no. Uh, when it, 
when they did Gay Witch Hunt, and they're like, which one of you has your penis open up to accept the other one? <laughs> and to public opinion had shifted a little bit. Like, there were some people looking back, it's like, hey, maybe we're a little bit too harsh on Oscar Wilde. And it's like, and World War One was going on, so it's like, people have other things to think about. We might be able to just, like, not have this be a big thing. Well, uh, the even that this, the odds were still stacked heavily against Maude in this libel suit. And she had some major opponents. In addition to the member of Parliament Billings, uh, two of the newspaper magnates, uh, Lord Northcliffe and Lord Beaverbrook, were both against her. And Lord Alfred Douglas was against her, Oscar Wilde's former lover, who had since found Jesus, became a devout Catholic, and would rapidly attack homosexuality and anyone who'd attempted to bring up Oscar Wilde. Okay, so if he found Jesus, where, like, it, why are people still having to like come to your door and ask if you found him? Because this guy knew where he was. Is is like, the, is this a massive game of hide and seek that we haven't been like told about? Yeah, it's like, why do you think I like look down while I'm walking? I don't want to accidentally find him. You don't accidentally want to trip over him. Don't want to trip over him. And he'll be like, ah, it's Easter. I'm trying to be a bunny now. Oh, man. If only we'd gotten our shots a little bit earlier, Austin, because that would mean that we could get the after Easter day candy. Uh, Doesn't It does not mean I did not load up our grocery delivery for tomorrow with a bunch of Easter candy, yeah. though. <laughs> so Wait, is tomorrow Easter? No, it's not. Are you sure? It's like the 4th of April. Uh, so then the case begins. And there were many attacks made against Maud Allen. Uh, first of all, her dance career started in Germany, which was not unusual because a lot of artists got their start in Germany because there was a big, you know, film was happening in Germany in a big way before World War One. So lots of artists started there. She took piano lessons in Germany and she learned a lot of stuff in Germany. But that doesn't necessarily mean she was a German spy just because she's been to Germany. Uh, recently, the dancer Matahari had been convicted of spying and killed in France. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, she's also a dancer. So maybe there's lots of dancers who are spies for Germany. That didn't really hold water. Uh, they brought up the fact that her brother was convicted of killing two women in California and was put to death. So obviously her entire family must be psychosexual murderers. Sure. That's yeah. how that is how that works. And here is the most damning piece of evidence against her in the trial. She knew what the clitoris was. Okay, though, how were they able to prove that she knew what the clitoris was without they themselves knowing what the clitoris was? Well, you know, she, the reason she knew this was because in 1900, she had illustrated a sexual encyclopedia for German women. The... So Austin's saying he started this off with researching Freud, but now I'm thinking he might have not been actually doing research no. when he started this. It's a spot off researching Freud, and I fell down a rabbit hole because, believe it or not, Freud was a little obsessed with sex. What? Yeah. And this just kind of... Yeah, it was the uh, Illustrious Conversations dash Lexicon du Frau. See, I'm over here trying to speak French. You're over there trying to speak German. Yeah, this is a bad. Uh, this is a bad episode for languages. And the thing is, we both know we probably could have looked this up first and then just chose not to yeah. for, for your entertainment. Why would we do that? They are we. Our audience has an expectation. Very low expectations. And so, but she also knew that, like. Admitting that she had helped write a German book during World War One would not go very well for her. So she's just like, oh, yes, I just know what that is because I have one. And but there was no reason possible for a good girl to know about the clitoris. It's like, why would a good girl even know this? So because you know this, you are obviously a lesbian spy. 
Okay, though, I took sex ed in both public and Catholic schools, and in nine of those pla- none of those places did they actually ever teach us what it was. And they're like, and that's a clitoris. We're like, what's that for? Being a clitoris. Let's move on. It's there. But this was only a small, small part of the trial was actually against her. Most of it was attacking Oscar Wilde, who had been dead for over a decade. They were talking things like about how his works promoted necrophilia and how he was Irish. <laughs> Just one of those, you know, everyday Irish necrophiles. And of course, uh, Lord Douglas was particularly mad and was more or less frothing at the mouth, screaming about the corruption and evils of Oscar Wilde on this unrelated trial. Yeah, she's sitting there like, okay, can we just decide what my fate is here? Because I'm kind of done. Yeah. And this was the big news story at the time. Everyone was reading about this. Even like the soldiers in the trenches were talking about this libel trial. And this was when World War I was at its peak. Like you could he- you could hear the artillery across the English Channel firing. You could actually hear it on like a quiet day. Like there was constant worries about German ships showing up in the English Channel. Like the war was there. And this was the biggest news story. And it's because of a news cycle that modern readers will recognize all too well. First, a tabloid would report a false claim about the gay German spies all over England and this black book. Then, a legitimate news source, often owned by the same men who owned the tabloid, and were doing this completely on purpose, would report that other sources were reporting this. Ugh, I hate that. And then it would slowly become common knowledge and more and more people talk about it. So it had to be true because people were talking about it. It's like, and that's what happened with this black book of spies. Billings, by the way, even got his mistress who showed up in the car with him and his wife. There's a photo of the three of them together showing up for court. He talked her into lying on the stand that she had seen this black book. All right, so to be clear, we get mad when somebody has consensual relations with a person of the same sex of theirs, but we do not get mad when a woman is fine with it, all, with someone, another woman doing it with her husband, and since all three of them are together, we don't know what they're all three doing yeah, on closed door. I'm not saying they were doing something as a threesome, but... Who knows? So she, she even recanted this years later, but it was too late. The public was convinced that England was being overrun with gay spies coming over from Europe to sabotage the English war effort. And it's like, and it's again, more people kind of reporting, oh yeah, I've seen this book. I know about this book. And you know who's in this book? It became, much like an episode of The Office, a gay witch hunt. Now, at this point, some of you might be thinking, how were people 100 years ago dumb enough to fall for this? Well, how are we dumb enough to fall for this stuff now? Yeah, I'm looking at you, QAnon. Pizzagate. Pizzagate. <laughs> Save the children. Yeah. And so Maud Allen ended up losing her libel case. And there was demand to bring her up on gross indecency charges, but they couldn't because being gay was not a crime for women. It did more or less end her acting career. It's like she just couldn't perform anywhere anymore because of this case. It got too big and there was too much bad press for her. It ended her career. Weird fact, as of at least a few years ago, I don't know about now, there were states in this country where you could divorce somebody for adultery only if they slept with somebody of the quote unquote opposite sex. So if Austin were to treat on me with a guy, I couldn't call it adultery in those states. Hmm. But if he treated me with a girl, you could, I could. But guys are disgusting. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not saying you would cheat on me at all. I'm just saying like we still have weird laws about this kind of shit now. Yeah. And it did end her career. Again, I, got, I mentioned this earlier. She did go back to America and got a job manufacturing through World War II. And she lived uh, with her partner until her death in the 60s. Uh, of course, at this point, any attempts to reintroduce Wilde's work into England just died. No one wanted to hear anything about this gay necrophiliac Irishman for a long time. And it just kind of disappeared in England for a while again. Uh, Billings enjoyed his fame and notoriety from this case for a little bit, but uh, then he got too big for his britches and started to libel Winston Churchill. Oh, God. Who took him to the cleaners and Billings ended up in jail for libel. Yeah, Churchill... Seems like one of those people that you would not fuck with. No, you, you absolutely. Yeah, he was. Billings made the mistake that lots of bullies do in situations like this, like McCarthy did with like the with like, you know, the Red Scare uh-huh. where he would go after against like, you know, performers and actors and people who were largely politically powerless. And then he thought, well, I can get away with this. So then he started going against the people who had political power and they just tore him apart. That yeah. same thing happened to Billings. And yeah. That is my weird story with its shitty ending. So what? Okay, though, you never actually explained Princess Napoleon. Okay. Princess Napoleon uh, was a was a compatriot of Freud's who uh, actually got him out of Austria when the when World War Two started because he was Jewish and they would have put him to death. They, in fact, put several of his family members to death. She managed to get him out and she was uh, involved with studying human sexuality at the time. And she was like. Emperor Napoleon's great great grandniece, and she was obsessed with finding a cure for her uh, female frigid frigidity ugh, frigidness, which caused her to be unable to orgasm. So she was obsessed uh, with trying to find a cure for it. That is, I mean, it's not called that, but that is, that is a real yeah. thing. It's like so this weird story, and it's a bummer. Every part of it's kind of sucks. And my big takeaway from it is we have learned nothing, but at least we aren't as ho- shittily homophobic as we were. So at least we have that. We aren't as um, openly shittily homophobic. Legislatively, there we go. And yeah, so that's that's like. Although that's... I do really hope that every single one of those people who goes into a store screaming about their rights because they don't want to wear a mask would do the same thing if a gay couple wanted to buy a buy a wedding cake there. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's just Karen wants to go to Applebee's, and you're not going to stop her. Give me, give me death before inconvenience. Yeah. And now I'm trying to think about anything that would make me really like think, man, I wish I was at, at, at Applebee's. I could think of some stuff from Chili's. Yeah. Like, 54 Street Grill. I mean, we have, well, we though, have, they don't even have that anymore. We have a microwave at home. There's no need to go to Applebee's. Are you ready for questions? Did you write down questions? I did write down All questions. Right. And I already know what the answers are going to be. Well, the answer is no. None of this would be on a test. Will the clitoris be on the test? Okay, interestingly, depending on who runs your sex ed courses and what your state allows... Maybe. In Kansas, probably not, although I believe we are technically, we are we are an abstinence-only state, but it is not banned to talk about stuff like that. However, when I lived in Boston, I actually was up for a job to teach sex ed through Planned Parenthood, who ran the sex ed program at a local school district, and I believe I would have been allowed to explain what the clitoris was, yes? Oh, okay. Will Oscar Wilde be on the test? Not on a test about the clitoris. <laughs> he, and nor should he be. <laughs> no man should be on that test. The man should probably be taking that test. (laughs) Will the Dance of the Seven Veils be on the test? You know, it depends on what we're studying. Yeah. And of course, will how easy it is to fall for blatant misinformation be on the test? I believe that question gets asked pretty much every week at this point. Yeah. So that was my thing. That's definitely not going to be on the test. But I just had to share it anyway, because it was bananas. 
and depressing, which is kind of our two modes on this podcast. Yeah, I like mine was also bananas and depressing, but again, probably because I was listening to the scrub soundtrack while I wrote the end of it. <laughs> also, folks, just so you know, you can go to the Scrubs fandom website, see the see the list of every song for every episode, and then just type it into your Amazon Prime Music or whatever you happen to listen on. Then you have a whole playlist, and then Hold On Hope plays while you're reading this while you're writing this funny thing about Jefferson and Mastodons, and you start to realize that maybe he wanted something greater than himself to exist. Um, hilariously, uh, Beyonce doing Formation came up when I was writing my my questions. So, and we come back to Beyonce as we always do. As you always do. As I always do. Slay. So where can people find us? Well, they can find us uh, on Twitter at On The Test Pod, on Instagram at On The Test Pod, on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash On The Test Pod, and our website, onthetestpod.com. Twitter is the best place to reach us because it is the one that consistently sends me notifications on my phone. Yes. Yeah, uh, we don't. I like. I never get notifications about our Facebook page. Does it still exist? Yeah, we actually have a bunch of new people joining us. So hello, Ooh. new people. Hi, um, new people. But I don't get notifications about that on my phone, and you know, I my computer's for work, so I'm not spending a whole lot of time on my computer for work for Facebook purposes. Twitter is the fastest and easiest way to reach out to us, and that includes if you have an episode idea that or a language you want to hear us botch, be like, hey, do a story where you're going to have to say a whole lot of words in this language, and we will see what we can do poorly for you. Yes, because we do try to research things thoroughly, but man, languages fall out of my head so fast. Like, I could listen to it be pronounced 20 times, write down pronunciation notes, and then just bungle it on the day. I can read several languages well enough to get the gist of things. I can read a couple of languages well enough to give you a pretty, not in-depth answer, but reasonably acceptable answer. I cannot speak or really write them. Because when you are a student taking a language in America, that is all you learn to do. You learn to identify the words on site and then repeat them as a class, but you never actually learn how they work together. There's not a whole lot of immersion or conversation. So, like, give me something in Spanish. And if you give me, especially if you give me, like, a general context, I can figure out what I'm reading. Italian is similar enough. French is actually just slightly similar enough that I can usually assess that French. German sometimes, but I can't speak any of them. I actually, I used to be a Spanish translator and I would always start every time with, hi, I'm Sarah. I'm here to translate for you. And I'm sorry. (laughs) Literally every time. Wow. (sighs) I did speak it a lot better then. So yeah. uh, And, you know, while you're giving us suggestions, maybe like, you know, review, review our podcast, recommend us to some friends because you all have that one friend who needs to hear about mastodons or the clitoris. Mastodons and masturbation. <laughs> We'd but, actually managed to get through your entire segment without saying that word. We didn't. Wow, we are too clean. I was hoping we'd get dirtier for my segment, but we didn't. You actually do need to like figure out how to title this episode because I am not positive that all of our podcast hosts will let the word clitoris be in the title of this oh, episode. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one. It might be, I might just have to go with Maud Allen libel case <laughs> because my- we'll We'll do some brainstorming. Yeah. Um, so if you, after you listen to this, but if you are like psychics and can tell what we're talking about right now, just like send us a tweet and be like, hey, this is what this episode title should be. Yes. If we've already produced this episode, that is not helpful. <laughs> um, I guess on that note, <laughs> class, class dismissed. dismissed.